singing songs deep in the Lord and maintaining a close walk with the Lord are the things that bring that depth, which will hold you fast when everything else goes crazy. Well, today on the Transforming Discipleship Podcast, we have the privilege of talking with Kristen Getty from Getty Music. You probably know her and her husband, Keith. They both are very involved in a unique space in the world of music as preeminent modern hymn writers, according to their website. They have sought to reinvent traditional hymns into new forms, and they've created a catalog of songs teaching Christian doctrine and crossing the genres of traditional, classical, folk, and contemporary composition, which are sung all over the world. I recently discovered that she's a good friend of the Dr. Christopher Wright from Langham Partnerships, who we had a chance earlier this season to chat with as well. Kristen and her husband have co-authored a book titled Sing, with an explanation point at the end there that was first published in 2017. Kristen, thank you so much. You have interrupted your Thursday field trip on the beach today to be on this podcast. How are you doing? Glad to be here. Thank you so much. That was a beautiful coastline over here in Ireland. If any of you are familiar with um, your mission history, Amy Carmichael is from this part of the world. And so we were just sharing her story with our kids today. So it's been a great day. That's great. It's wonderful. What a, what a neat experience for your kids to have and to be able to share that with them. My connection with Chris is more through Old Testament backgrounds. I have a PhD in Old Testament. And so Chris and I share that world. I have to tell you, I've read lots of different books on discipleship. Recently, we've had wonderful people on this podcast. Everybody brings a unique contribution. And I would say that your contribution is extremely unique. And I've already recommended your book, Sing, now to several of my pastor friends in hopes that they're going to share some of your excellent insights with their congregation. So I'm, I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind just for a minute sharing just a quick glimpse of the contents of this book for those maybe listening to this podcast that aren't familiar with it. Yeah. Well, first of all, Keith and I did not set out to be authors of books. You know, we have been hymn writers for the last 20 years and both here from Ireland, been traveling the States the last um, 15 years with the band and leading the hymns. And then over the years, we have been invited to speak at conferences and to do um, special luncheons with worship leaders and various other things. And a few years ago, actually, we started the Sing Conference to try and collect some of these ideas together. And so the book was born out of that, looking at how congregational singing impacts the life of the individual and then the family and then the church and then in the wider world are witness to the world and it was really considering the question how well are the congregations singing we understand that to be the main sound of the musical sound of the church and of the life of the church and so how well are they singing and that as being a very useful question above and beyond what song are we singing what's the style that we're singing how do we sing it what technology do we use should we turn the lights on should we use a smoke machine you know all these various different <laughs> things that might come across the worship planning table on any given Monday or Tuesday when people get together to review the service. What is it we're actually trying to do? And that is getting the congregation to sing well and to sing rich truths about the Lord. And then what that then means, how that works, not just on a Sunday, but throughout the life of a believer every day. And as we pass it on to the next generation, and indeed, so much of what we sing is what we then you know, remember. It's how we talk about our faith. It's how we pray 
how we share our faith with unbelievers. And so, you know, what we sing actually is incredibly important. And so mm. we just want shining a light on that as we've tried to write songs that have that in mind, singability and biblical truth, and then a beauty, hopefully that it's something people enjoy to sing because that's important as well. And then obviously loving to sing all that's best of the great hymnody that's been passed on to us. I think people listening, myself included, I'm always curious about how can I walk closer with God? How can I draw closer into his presence and have a deeper relationship with him, live out his mission? And I thought to myself, wow, you've really captured here eloquently the value of singing for the process of our following Jesus for discipleship. So I wonder if you could share for a minute or answer this question, why should singing be an essential part of our walk with God. Yeah. Well, I think we have all been created to sing. And I think what's helpful is to make a little shift in our minds that singing is not just connected to a performance culture, or is it connected to something that, well, I just sort of like singing, and whereas someone else maybe says, I don't, or I'm very good at singing the way maybe somebody would pick up the violin and learn how to play the violin. But actually to see singing in the same sort of section of the Christian walk, as we pray to the Lord, we read his word, and we sing it. And singing is an extension of our prayer life. It is prayer and singing is an extension of what it means to let the scriptures dwell richly in you. And I think God has created us in such a way that singing makes these things much more accessible to us. You know, we remember the things that we sing in the same way that we teach our kids their alphabets. We're singing, singing songs and all sorts of rhymes that help get information locked in their memories that never goes away. I think that's what singing does for us. And so we want to take that part of us that's been made to respond in that way and, and fill it up well yeah. um, from whenever we're really little and all the way through our lives. One of the things we love is that um, idea of songs that we carry with us through life. And it may be that we learn a song, you know, this year that's for this moment. And that's totally wonderful. But to have a collection of songs that have been curated either through, you know, our local churches or just as mums at home trying to pass on the faith of their, that we grow up and we carry with us a collection of songs that we keep singing and that our part to you know, explain the great truths of the gospel, give us a great scope of the character of the God of the Bible, of what the church is, where we're heading, the hope we have, that we sing all these things and remind us of these things. The Bible, there are just countless exhortations to sing and praise and declare, sing to the Lord a new song. All the way through, we see that we are a singing people and that we will continue to be a singing people. And so I think that's one of the things that, you know, we felt passionate about shifting, that it's not just something that I'm great at or it's, you know, sort of a an ambiguous choice, but actually it's the call on, on every believer. And then to take that responsibility seriously, to, to actually see it as a command, which it is, and not just an added extra or something that's, you know, cool or trendy or gives you a particular feeling whenever you sing, because it can do those things, but that's not why we do it. You know, we do it because the Lord commands us to sing and praise him. And when we do, there's just endless benefits. Singing has a way to help our memory grab a hold of some biblical truths. I think that's how you said it a little bit and how we mm -hmm. remember things better when we sing them opposed to reciting. Mm -hmm. I even think you make the comment or Keith makes the comment in the book. You know, we, we probably know more songs than we know recitation of scripture. I can remember my mom, who's actually from Greenwich, Greenwich, England, okay. not far from where you are. I remember growing up in my home, she immigrated to America and 
I remember just her singing songs to me growing up and how instilling that was for me. And I have now taken that practice as well to have a few pieces of scripture committed to song form. Some of them I've made up myself. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not a good singer. <laughs> but it helps. I, I have found that it is very enriching. So I really appreciate that. One of the things that struck me, you just mentioned it, is the command in the Bible. And I think I read in your book that you guys had noticed there are 50 imperatives, mm -hmm. commands to sing. So yeah. that's pretty significant when we are thinking about what God is commanding or what the psalmist is, is commanding or encouraging us to do. That's pretty serious stuff. And I don't remember ever being taught that necessarily growing up in any church community. Have you found that to be true in your own experience, that it's not really talked about much in churches about the value to sing? You know, I've, I'm very blessed to have been brought up in a Christian family. And as somebody who always loved to sing anyway, it was something that, you know, I, I, I always did and always enjoyed. But it was something that I had to then learn and think, I'm not singing just because I love it. Although I think the more you do it, the more you love it. Mm -hmm. But I think that I've become a lot more aware of this as I've been helping lead other people in singing. And I guess particularly, I, I became a mom 10 years ago and just trying to work out what are, what are the things that I want to pass on to my kids and what are the spiritual disciplines? What, what are the key things that I would like to make seem like breathing and brushing your teeth what are the things that i can really help them in and i you know i was aware that as a you know a lot of people spend time teaching their kids how to pray or teaching their kids how to um, read the scriptures but actually that notion what does it mean to teach them how to sing because that's an important part yeah exactly it's such a, a critical part to it. and in fact that will really help them learn how to pray and help them remember those texts and so i guess uh, you know my you know, passion for it and my exploring it has been accelerated by being a mum. Yeah. You know, and and trying to use that to pass on to them. So Eliza, our firstborn, she was maybe three or four, we um, started doing a hymn a month with our kids. Wow. And that has been a, a wonderful thing. Just you know, I've got four young children and it's really difficult. And I can imagine anybody might listen here. Oh my goodness, not another thing that I have to do or another <laughs> thing that I might be feeling at because believe me, I go to sleep many nights going, what was that? You know, <laughs> the day that I just had, this is not to discourage in any way, but actually I have found it. You know, I think to myself, well, if it's been a crazy day, at least here's a song that's going around our house this this month and I can play it as they're falling asleep or I can play it in the car as we're going somewhere or I can sing it as I'm making dinner. I can say, hey, we're doing our hymn of the month. I write it on a little board in their room and it's just a little focal point because life goes so fast and, you know, there's obviously a very important place to sit down and, and you know, read scriptures with your kids and that you're training them up in the ways of the Lord. But actually I find that to be low-hanging fruit mm -hmm. um, and I'm not trying to you know, straight jacket them into it and force it on them, but just creating a soundtrack in our home that um, reminds them of these trees. So this month it is, it is well with my soul is the song that we've, we've been teaching them. And that's led to, you know, certain questions as to what does it mean to have assurance? What, um, who is Satan and what, what does that mean? Hmm. Um, and just, it, it, it actually has encouraged questions and answers that I might not have thought to do. Yeah. so readily and um, but they're singing these things and the great thing is also i was just thinking this the other day because 
it's May and school is coming to a close. And so we haven't just been as uh, as on it this month because there's so many things going on. But it just occurred to me, though, it's so great. Even if they learn the first verse, these hymns, like it is well with my soul, have been sung for generations and will continue to be sung. And so it is a long term worthwhile investment, you know, that yeah. they get a little bit of it now then they can add to it. C.S. Lewis talks about how children learn in the essay he wrote on education and children. And he said, children learn not so much as a train, a train goes from station to station. You know, they don't learn this, then leave it behind, but they learn as a tree adds rings and they grow in an understanding. I think hymns is a wonderful way to add rings because every little layer of it is something new and they're learning it in music and I love the fact that I sang Great Is Thy Faithfulness when I was a little girl. Yeah. My parents had it at their wedding. I sang it as a teenager. I sang it in my 20s as a student. You know, I sang it as a, as a newlywed. I sang it with kids and now I'm 41 years old and I keep singing it. And that song then captures so many points in my own journey of understanding what God's faithfulness is. So I, I want my kids to have have that same thing. So the, the idea of a tree, you know, and the extra rings added, that's a beautiful image. And I want to play with that for a minute because in the Psalm 149 that you draw attention to in the book and you talk about, you know, look at how the psalmist spurs us on to sing with the command and spurs us on to do it in community, also spurs us on to talk about a new song. And yeah. you don't really comment on it very much in the book, but I, I can't help but wonder, I mean, you are, you are producing new songs. So I think you might have something to say to that. And I'm wondering, you know, what should such new songs be about? And what mm -hmm. should they focus upon in the whole process of song development? And as the mm -hmm. psalmist encourages us to sing a new song, and in essence, we're building another ring on that tree as we continue mm -hmm. to march forward in history. So I'm curious what you would say to that. Well, I think that every generation needs its new songs. You look at a hymnal, they cover, you know, centuries of work. And we don't want to look back and see a big gap in the, <laughs> in the century and the times that we live in. I think it should be a serious res you know, responsibility that we take on. I don't think everybody is a songwriter in terms of songs that can be sung by churches. I think everybody can write songs for themselves and for their families. That's not what I mean. But I think it is something to be worked at, taken seriously, seen as a skill and, and to be treated in that way and developed and as a discipline of work. I do think that when it comes to leading our congregations, we shouldn't be too hasty to always try and do new things, always new songs. I think, I think somebody once said to us, I think for every new song that you sing, sing two old ones. <laughs> wow. I just want to, I want to, I want to grab a hold of that for a minute because mm -hmm. I think at least in America, and I don't know about the rest of Europe and other places, but there is a tension as, as I served as a pastor for a while, there's always a tension in our culture at least ours specifically, of wanting to have the new songs, wanting to have, um, and, and, at, for, and at the expense of the older songs. And there's this constant uh, tension happening between an older generation, perhaps, and a younger generation. And I think what you just said is very profound because I think it's going to give a lot of pastors a chance to breathe deeply that you don't have to go one way or just the other, sing one new song and have two old ones. Yeah. Why is that important? Probably because choosing the two older ones because they have stood the test of time. They work. And that's the thing. You're trying to find songs that, yes, cover, you know, a sort of vast array of topics so that people are getting a great diet of spiritual food in the songs that they sing. But they just have to be songs that people can actually sing. And I think there is, if you only have 
maybe four or five songs you're going to do on a Sunday. And those are the songs which are going to carry the message of the gospel into people's homes, into their lives, into their conversations. Then you want to choose the best songs you can. And they're not all just written today. No, we have centuries Amen. behind us. Um, of wonderful Amen. songs that we we keep alive and we pass on, so so yeah. it's, a, it's a bit of a blend there, you know. And we've written our own hymns, yes, um, but we love singing the old ones <laughs> even more, probably. <laughs> There's so much value there. We, we're at a place now in the 21st century where so many hymns you guys point out have become too much mm -hmm. for adults mm -hmm. in, in many ways to digest. And I'm wondering what your perspective is or what your reflections are. Maybe you and Keith have talked about this. Where are we at right now as a people of God in terms of our collective theological literacy? Mm -hmm. yeah. And how might returning to some of these older hymns help us? Yeah. Well, I mean, we're always in danger of dulling things down too much or simplifying things too much. It's not to say that I teach my kids, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, and that's important. But I don't want them, that's the only song they sing and they're always singing that. You know, they, I want them to always sing that, that always to be a part of their musical vocabulary and Christian walk as each of them come to follow the Lord, which we pray for. But I'm also teaching them the mighty fortress is our God and trying to tell them what a bulwark is. You know, it's all of them. And, you know, whenever somebody learns how to, a new language when they're learning French, you know, they can learn the line, you know, I, I would like an ice cream, please. But if that's where their French stays, it's not going to go very far. And very often how people learn a language is they're submerged in it. They're submerged in a conversation and they're filled with all of it. And so you, you, I think you, for, for families, yeah, for the individual, for families, for churches, just filling people up and putting them in an environment of richness is just so important. And I think there's a bit of a journey involved in this. There's some churches, obviously, that sing robustly and have very carefully crafted worship services, maybe a more liturgical path, but it's going it's going in a direction and it's filled with the gospel and good response and all that you'd want it to be. And other churches have a slightly more loose approach to how things are put together. Whichever perspective you come, you want the content to be rich. And it will not always be to absolutely everybody's taste. That's the thing. You know, we don't go to church and we're like, well, I don't, I don't like old hymns or I only sing new songs or this, that and the other. You know, we come under understanding that we're a mixed bunch of people from different backgrounds, different abilities and levels. It's an incredible thing. And we're gathering ourselves around the same truths. But there is an educational component to this. We are open to learning new things, relearning old things. And I also think that it is really helpful when a pastor, Bible teacher, Sunday school leaders are talking, you know, actively about what singing is and what it does and encouraging the congregations. That's been something else that it's not, you know, we really feel very strongly that the worship leader is the pastor and not just the musicians in the church. That it's, it's wonderful when there's such a great unity of purpose and expression through not just the person with the guitar at the organ, but the person in lead of the congregation, that they're leading the singing, talking about it, and are seen to be singing. You know, as we traveled around, we noticed often that the congregations that would sing the best were the ones where the pastor was in amongst them singing with them. And it was part of life and they talked about it and they prioritized it and, you know, expected people to be 
to be there for it and not missing the first few songs because they're just there for the talk and churches where the children were involved and included and trained up in the singing you know even just simple things like making the church aware of the songs that we were going to be singing and putting them up on spotify or putting them up on social media hey these are the songs we're going to do and this one's a new song if you want to have a listen to it with your family we'll get ready for church on sunday and just making it just part of the life uh, life and you know of the, of the church i think those some of those things are really really have been really helpful and we have seen how great that is whenever it's working Singing is so valuable for our growth and relationship with God. And I think, Kristen, your point about there needs to be this learning process that's ongoing and it's educational is so, so helpful because as we grow and as we seek to have a discipleship that's active with the Lord and we seek to learn more about him and draw into a deeper relationship with him, these songs, the songs from the past several centuries, as well as those that are being written today, provided they have theological underpinnings, they have the opportunity to shape our heart. Mm -hmm. I think your point, Kristen, about we have the job as leaders. We get to, I should say it that way, we get to kind of set the tone and the culture in our community by how we worship mm -hmm. and how we sing. As I'm thinking about COVID and I'm thinking about a lot of churches that have gone indoor, you know, shut down because of the pandemic, I guess I'm wondering, and I, I, one of the things our church did was you had to have masks on when you sang. And now everybody's just, no no one's singing anymore. Yeah. Basically, you know, like maybe there were a few people singing, but it just gave everybody permission to not sing anything. And it's it's a bit disheartening. And so I don't know if you could speak to that a little bit. You know, what would you say to a community that's still under this pressure of COVID and, you know, they have masks on, they maybe aren't even meeting together mm -hmm. yet. They're still virtual in their homes. And so they're not even collectively mm -hmm. in a community physically. I mean, what would you encourage mm -hmm. them with? Our congregational singing has been greatly hindered over the last year and a half. And I know, you know, I can't wait. We, we have been, I'm in Northern Ireland all this year and lockdown has persisted quite a long time. So, and we're hoping the next couple of weeks to, you know, be able to be in amongst a congregation and sing. And it is tricky with it, with a mask. I do think though, as we think about congregational singing, yes, it's incredibly important and there will be some relearning and gathering in to be done, some extra work to be done to get it going. But to see singing to the Lord as not just a Sunday activity. And over the last year and a half, we've had some just such sweet and rich times of singing to the Lord as a family in our home. And so, you know, and especially when you do have young kids, this is often the case because goodness gracious, we don't often get a chance to sit still even in church yeah. with children. But to, you know, I often look at the girls and look at Keith and think, you know, we are a little tiny church yeah. here. You know, we're a little satellite, a little outpost of our main local church. And we're going to keep singing and learning these songs and use them. And so, you know, encouraging people to get on board when we can sing as fully as we want to even sing behind <laughs> behind our masks, but to be using the opportunities at home to go deeper. Mm and even as individuals, to not let our voices go rusty. They don't have to. We can still sing. We can still sing. And that's important for anybody out there that has a family that is in that situation. Or maybe you're listening right now and you're back in church live, physical, with other people, but you're still sitting here listening and thinking, I would love, Kristen, to develop this culture in my own home my kids are older, my kids are middle school, where do I start? What would you say to that person? I would say, you know, mark it out in your life first. You know, 
whenever we are, you know, I was chatting recently to um, Malcolm Geit. He's this fabulous poet. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. He's an English mm-hmm. poet. Oh, my goodness. If anybody wants to get some wonderful Christian poetry, go and search Malcolm Geit as soon as you're finished here. <laughs> I'll go check him out. And I, I was chatting to him a few weeks ago, just, you know, how did this love of poetry? And he not only is he a great writer, but he just has such an unbelievable knowledge of so many great poems that have. And we do have a rich talk about rich heritage and hymnody. We also have one in poetry, you know. And he said, well, as a little boy, you know, my mom would just start reciting poetry whenever we would see a beautiful sunset or whenever we're walking along the road or we're in the car or, you know, going to school. She would just she would just have little lines that she would recite to us. And then we started to learn them because she loved it. And she started saying these beautiful lines. And I think singing is the same way. Um, and if you don't feel a very confident singer, although I think, again, the more you sing, the better you become at it. But I am um, playing the songs in the kitchen as you make breakfast, playing them in the car. And um, I've had great success with my kids in playing songs as they fall asleep at night. That gives them great comfort and sort of steadies their thoughts. Which is why we did that collection of songs last year called Even Song, Hymns and Lullabies um, as you go to sleep. And so we played those and teach some of those to our kids and just making it just making it part of life, you know. And then we're very um, fortunate the church, our home church in Nashville, which of course we haven't been to for the last year though, because we're home here. They include the children in the service for the first 15 minutes um, of the service. They're with us. And I have loved that. I understand with logistics very often, you know, congregations are, you know, children are taken away and put in different places. And there's tremendous value, obviously, in those age appropriate ministries. But goodness, you don't want there to be an occasion or they don't the year to go by without an occasion where the whole church can be singing together. And my kids have greatly benefited from walking into church and recognizing songs that we have sung at home and then joining with the rest of the church Mm. and singing them. And that has just brought us so much joy to watch that. And I think this is preparing them. You know, they are the voice of the church and it's preparing them to be the voice of the church in, in years to come. And so I, I love the integration across the generations that congregational singing so brings. Good. And I think if it's a feast on Sunday, as I said in the book, um, the appetite for it is growing in the home. You know, highlight in the book what St. Augustine says, the church father, and he says this, when we sing, we pray twice. And I'm wondering if you could speak mm-hmm. a little bit about what, does singing do for deepening our relationship with God? I think it gives us words very often when we can't think of them ourselves. And that's why one of the ways I've benefited the most, we can all write prayers and think up, you know, great thoughts. But the singing of the songs has taught me how to pray, has taught me how to understand a particular day in the Christian life that we live has refreshed my perspective so I'm not bogged down in the secondary things, but has also brought the presence of God into those secondary things, into laundry and emptying a dishwasher mm. to stand. And what I love, I love that sort of seamless connection that singing songs of the Lord can bring because they just become part of the everyday. There's that big moment when we're all together praising the Lord together. And then there's the, just the everyday moments of what those do. But yeah, that, that for me personally, that is how songs have helped me the most is given me words when I didn't know what, didn't know what to say. I really resonate with that. And I think we go through as humans, a lot of different emotions and mm-hmm. as life 
brings to us different seasons. Mm -hmm. And so I think about the seasons of grief and lament or the seasons of joy and celebration. And I think about all the different songs that are out there, hymns, newer things perhaps in contemporary Christian music circles, to have those on and to be able to learn those words and to sing them and to be doing the quotidian menial everyday activity like laundry and dishes mm -hmm. and wrestling with kids or whatever. I have found yeah. that to be true in my life as well, yeah. uh, to be able to bring God into all crevices mm -hmm. of our existence. Mm -hmm. That's what songs can do. It can bring mm -hmm. God into all crevices of our yeah. existence. And I think that's really, really important in the journey of discipleship. So I want to I'm not going to follow up on any of these questions. I'm just going to ask you the next one. We're just going to, you can spend as long or as little as you want on these questions. Okay. They're not hard. Don't worry. They're all good. Okay. And, <laughs> You're making me nervous. You, you know what? I'll even give you a pass. If you want to pass, you can pass. But okay. We've never had anybody pass. So just let you know, like if you do, that's, it'll be. So like, I, I, can, I can make history here. <laughs> you can make history. Yeah. You've, you've made history already a few times so you're good no, no. but um, i'm gonna just i'm just gonna read the question and then you, you feel free to, to give us insight and gives us a chance to get to know you a little bit okay mm -hmm. all right uh do you have a favorite song and if so what is it him you mean like a christian song a song that we sing in church any song any song well my favorite hymn is when i survey the wondrous cross love that one. Oh, why <laughs> well, I love just how it explains the gospel. I love the fact that it's both so rich doctrinally, but it's beautiful poetry and it's very emotionally engaging. I think it's this wonderful connection of the two, you know, just I know this to be true, but I'm my heart's all in it. So what's your process look like for creating a song? Uh, we start with an idea. What do we, what's this song going to be about? Is it going to be about the church? Is it going to be about the, the word of God? Is it an opening song? Is it a dedication song? Is it a song for baptism? <laughs> and then we usually start with a musical idea because we're most concerned um, at that at initial stage of finding a melody that works congregationally. So we're trying to find a singable melody that's beautiful, that sounds familiar, but is not is a little bit different to anything else, you know, <laughs> the usual challenge. And then I sort of like a skeleton work out where the lyric is going, trying to put all the pieces together, like a, a clear sort of journey. This, this verse is going to be about this, which is going to lead to this, going to lead to this. Lots of Bible reading, study, conversation, chats, trial and error. And then we sort of fleshed it out with the poetry to make the language beautiful because this is not just singing Ephesians 1. It's meant to be poetry, you know. So I just so there's those little twists and turns of language that are memorable that people will, you know, latch on to. So what's the next project that you're working on right now? We are in the middle of doing a children's hymn project. So recording after we've done all these family hymn sings over the last year and recording some of those hymns, we're doing that. And then also Keith and I are doing sort of a studio album. We haven't done one in several years of a mixture of quite a few old hymns that we've never recorded. So Be Thy My Vision, which I've always wanted to sing. And when I survey, um, I haven't actually done the version that I grew up singing. And so we're, we're in the middle of recording that right now. And we're big thing that we're getting ready for is the Sing Conference, which is this September. And we do that every year. And this year, it's going to be an in-person event. So that's going to be exciting because last year it was completely digital. So we're all working towards that and that Sing Conference. Why did you have a friend tell Keith that he had to wait until he was 
40 to develop this book, Sing. <laughs> yeah, he, he was really great. Well, the thing is, once you put things down in print, they're stu- they, they stick around for a long time. I remember very clearly as an 18-year-old about to start university thinking to myself, you know, I, I've pretty much sussed out what this is all about. You know, I've got the basic idea. And in some things, yes, understood the gospel, understood a life wanting to commit that to the Lord and all the rest of it. But oh my goodness, you know, even just, you know, 23 years on, how much more you understand and not being too hasty to to educate or teach or to assume a knowledge that you need to share. <laughs> so we really wanted to have many years of learning and of being on the road and trying to understand. Of course, since we wrote that book, there's so many more things we'd like to say or, you know, different things that we would say, but um, that seemed like a good point to go for. Speaking about Keith, how do you balance your calling, your marriage, and parenting as you have four kids and uh, you have a lot going on? Yeah, I think keeping short account of where we are, you know, so some some months are better than others, but constantly sitting down going, okay, this is not quite working, or I've spent too much this week on this aspect of our life and the other one's gone out of balance. I need to now take two or three days to sort of correct that. So that's been a thing that we've always tried to do. And I think probably every family's the same. There's different pressure points. And then it's just always trying to keep, as Alistair Begg says, the main things, the plain things, and the plain things, the main things, you know, trying to, and those end up being actually the things that are hardest to fight for, but they're the most essential. And that is praying every day, reading the scriptures, having, you know, a life of service and and kingdom focus to what you do, trying to maintain those things as being the primary things. Those are the biggest battles and they're the ones you want to fight for. When did you first become aware that singing could be an essential way to relate to God? As a little girl, I went to an evening service with my parents. I would have been maybe four or five years old. And our next door neighbor got up to sing and she sang a Graham Kendrick song. And I just remember looking at her and listening to her and going, "Ah, wow, I want to do that. It was very clear for me. So last question, you and Keith get a chance to lead worship. Would you both rather be singing and leading worship with hundreds of people you do not know or with 50 people you know very well? Oh my goodness. I can tell you, I have never been asked that. And I can probably tell you, it wouldn't, I would, don't, I don't know. I think I would like, like both. <laughs> it's lovely pass. being with people that you know, but it's just so great, especially with people that maybe aren't as familiar with the songs and teaching them and seeing them start to learn it for the first time. These are all great things. That's like asking me, what's my favorite child? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's a good, that's a good response. They can't answer it. Yes and yes. Yes and yes. <laughs> oh, this has been a pleasure, Kristen. It's been so nice to talk with you. And I, I really appreciate you giving us just the time on your Thursday field trip right now to, to chat about your book and about the value of singing. So I don't know if you have any last word of wisdom or encouragement you would want to give to ministry leaders or people out there trying to follow Jesus and have tuned into this podcast. What would you want to say to them? When we first moved to America and we were chatting to people about what we were trying to do, there was one pastor that spoke to us and said, well, whatever you do, aim for depth. And that has stuck with us as being something that's so important. You know, we are in such haste and we're always trying to, you know, build things and try new things and go after this next thing, but actually to aim for depth. 
like the tree, having those real, really mm. deep roots. And I think That's that um, singing songs deep in the Lord and maintaining a close walk with the Lord are the things that bring that depth, which will hold you fast when everything else goes crazy. And mm. um, I say this as a <laughs> exhortation to my own heart today, and hopefully that helps resonates with somebody else too. Kristen, it has been a pleasure. I hope a lot of people sign up to see you in September at the Sing Conference. Sure. Again, thanks so much for being on. Thanks for having me. This episode of the Transforming Discipleship Podcast is brought to you by smallgroups.com. We're a ministry of Christianity today. We want to thank all of you, you listeners out there who've tuned into this episode. We really hope you're finding this podcast helpful and meaningful in your walk with God. If so, please share this with colleagues or friends or people you're mentoring and ministry partners. If you'd like full access to smallgroups.com, you can subscribe today. We have various plans to meet your budget. This will give you access to hundreds of Bible studies. Indeed, there's even some on the topics of the value of prayer and singing for your spiritual walk. But I'll be honest, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, you should get Kristen's book because in each section, there are great questions that they ask and I think would be very valuable for a small group to pursue. And leaders out there, there's excellent bonus material at the end of her work. Friends, God bless. We'll see you next time.